Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Well, with 1.5 million nonprofits in the U.S. vying for the attention and generosity of the public, there are a whole lot of change makers crying out for a whisperer to guide them behind the scenes. Well, my guest today is Joan Gary, and Joan Gary knows this very well. Before becoming an advisor to many of our nation's leading nonprofits, Joan was executive director of GLAAD. She also has advised leaders and worked on organizational strategy at UNICEF, the Ford Foundation, Union for Reform Judaism, the Legal Aid Society, and Union Theological Seminary, among others. She has an impressive following comprising of 100,000 board members, charitable workers, and volunteers in over 150 countries through her agency. She also has a blog, she has a book, and a podcast called Nonprofits Are Messy. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show as Joan shares her thoughts on leadership today. Joan Gary, it's so good to have you on the show. I think many people know Joan from your blog, uh, from your podcast, uh, from your website. Maybe they've seen you speak. I'm so glad to have you on the show today because you have such an impressive amount of experience working with a plethora of organizations. So first of all, Joan, great to have you on the show today. Thank you for the opportunity. love talking with, you know, about subjects about nonprofit leadership and I'm a fan of your show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, because you have such a wide range of experience, I'd love to cover a wide array of topics if possible, if that's all right with you. Um, And so let's start out with leadership. My podcast is dedicated specifically to nonprofit leadership, much like your own. What are the distinguishing marks of nonprofit leaders that start and grow consistently impactful organizations over the long haul? Uh, Fantastic question. And um, I guess I would start by saying that I think that the leadership model in nonprofits is unique and worth thinking about as you think about what makes a good nonprofit leader. So, you know, if you look at an org chart, if you Google nonprofit organization org chart, you're going to see a board up on top, the executive director reporting to that board, and then the staff reporting to the executive director who reports to the board. It's not how I think about nonprofit uh, nonprofits. I think about it as kind of a shared leadership model. So imagine instead of the org chart, imagine a twin engine jet. And imagine that you have one engine that is your staff and one engine that is your board. And setting right in that cockpit is your board chair and your executive director. Now, it is, of course, true that uh, uh, an executive director does report to the board in terms of performance evaluation. But if they are not in sync as partners and leading together, um, I sure don't want to be on that plane. What it also does is it also um, reframes what the board is to the organization. It makes it a much more integral part of the ride and the trip to that, you know, sort of destination or vision. So in that context, I think about leadership um, on the executive director side. And as somebody who joined a nonprofit at the age of 39 with no fundraising experience, um, I think so much more about leadership in terms of attributes 
and skills. And so I think about sort of these kind of five things. So, uh, and I'll just race through them really quickly, and then please feel free to jump in or ask another question. But I think I think about attributes being most important. When I'm interviewing, if I'm interviewing an ED, I want to feel, one, a sense of real authenticity. I think it's kind of connected to trust. I want to feel a tremendous sense of conviction about the organization's specific mission. Is this, pe- is this person kind of crazy in love with the mission? The third thing I think about um, is joy or humor. It's really joyful to get paid to make a difference in the world. And I want to feel that when I, when I see someone who is leading a nonprofit organization. It feels super, super important to me. Um, and then um, I need somebody who's kind of fearless, right? Because they're going to have to stand up for what they believe. Um, and that feels really important to try to suss out in your leader. And then the last one, and these are not necessarily in priority order. It's kind of a mix. And I think the last one I would say is I need an executive director to have a right, <laughs> a right-sized ego. Um, it ties to whether or not the ED is there for kind of the right reasons or has some sort of, uh, you know, sort of a bit of a self, uh, I don't know what the word is, but I think that um, I want somebody who actually has a right-sized ego who can actually be an effective partner with a board chair. And I want somebody who has a right-sized ego so that the mission comes first always. And a person with a right-sized ego happens to be one of your best kinds of managers. So those are kind of five things that I look for as signs of a really excellent staff leader. I like that. Very, very helpful. You mentioned boards a bit. So nonprofit boards are critical to the success of their respective organization, of course. From all of your experience with nonprofit boards, what does a great board look like? And how does a nonprofit build a great board? Now, you have done a lot of podcasts and talk about nonprofit leadership. So you know that it is almost sport for nonprofit leaders to complain about their boards. Um, and um, I, I just, I can't tolerate it, actually. <laughs> I, um, I often say that the board you have is the board you build. Um, and so... First off, if you go back to my earlier comment about this notion of this twin-engine jet, the first thing you have to do is you have to perceive, understand, believe that your board is integral to a smooth ride to the right destination. So you have to believe that. And if you do, then a great board gets built first with intention. Um, uh, you know, I think you'll get this when I say, I need board members is just simply not a strategy, right? What you want to do is you almost want to think about it like you're casting a play, right? What, do, what skills, expertise, and attributes do I need for board service that will be complementary, right, will be, make it an effective engine? The second thing is that I need these board members to have different spheres of influence. One of the reasons that uh, nonprofit organizations don't scale up is that they actually don't grow outside of, of a couple of spheres. Maybe the, if it's a founder organization, there's a founder. And then <clears throat> the board is made up of friends of the founder. But those people generally 
swim in similar ponds. And what you're trying to do is build a board where each person has kind of a different pond that they swim in and that each of them has an exponential reach outside of their own unique pond so that you can then build what I call an army of the engaged. Um, so built with intention, built with an eye towards can each of these people bring me to new places, to new people, so that I can invite people to know more and do more. And then I think the third, the, 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 the four things. The third thing is I think the best boards, board members think of themselves as ambassadors and storytellers, that they're given the right kinds of tools to be really effective at being champions for the organization, and they're not simply treated like human ATMs. And then for me, you know, last but not even, in fact, not even last but least, like last because it's the most important, every single board member on a great board is kind of in love with the mission of the organization because if they're, if they are, they will make time for board service, they will be an enthusiastic ambassador, they'll be a great storyteller, and they will add to your army of leadership champions. So those are the kinds of things, I mean, there are other things, but to me, some of those, those are kind of the highlights of what I think makes a great board. And I, then I, the only other thing that I would add, and it is not inconsequential, is you need a terrific board chair. And that means you need a leadership pipeline, which goes back to my notion of designing with intention. So I need a board chair that actually wants the job and wasn't like in the restroom when they did the vote, right? you know, that just happened to get nominated because you were the only person that kind of, sort of raised their hands or what I like to call was voluntold to take the job. You need somebody who really wants that job, who's passionate, who fits all those other buckets and can, um, can be a really effective partner in that cockpit with the executive director. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that description. Yeah, I think uh, the board chairman or chairperson is so critical just as much as the executive director. And so I like how you describe that. Now, as we move a bit into our cultural context, I do believe that certainly in today's American cultural context, it just seems like we're getting more divided all the time. And I hear about it all the time, you know, from uh, just, you know, everyday people as well as nonprofit leaders, of course, as well as board members. And then you add to that, our market economy has its unpredictable ups and downs, of course, which directly impacts what donors can or cannot give to support nonprofit organizations. So from your experience and from your conversations with lots of different leaders across the country, what are the current trends among nonprofits who are successfully navigating through the current economic and political climate? What are they doing that perhaps others who are struggling with their organization are not? I think... Um, Rob, that one of the first things every nonprofit leader, right, sort of board chair or executive director, has to has to really focus on is, um, and it's why I love what I do. It's why it feels so valuable in our society. Um, I was I listened to something Stephen Colbert said uh, here in the Montclair Film at the Montclair Film Festival. I live in Montclair, New Jersey, and he talked about our world being broken and brokenhearted. And um, I think that the best nonprofits offer people a glimpse of hope, right? The, I don't know if you've ever seen this meme about Fred Rogers, um, Mr. Rogers' mom. There's this wonderful, wonderful quote, and I won't get it entirely right, but um, 
he talks about how when his when he was scared as a kid, his mom would say, when things seem really scary, think about the helpers, that there are always people out there who are helping, and that that will make you feel better about how scary the world is. And that's what I think nonprofit leaders, the best nonprofit leaders are tapping into exactly that, is that they are igniting people to remember that there are really good people in the world doing extraordinary things. So that's kind of an overlay. The second thing for me, Rob, is that our world is, as you said, ridiculously polarized. And the downside of that is clear, I think, to most people, that it just feels bad. Um, uh, you know, we, we strive to be a country where there is so much more that unites us than divides us, and it just does not feel that way. Um, but what it does, and this is on both sides of the political aisle, regardless, you know, regardless of where you stand politically, is that it's actually very motivating. Um, that people are hungry to be engaged in a real and meaningful way. And I believe that the best leaders see that. The way I kind of think about it, and, you know, I've just talked with you for a few minutes, and you already can see that I'm like the queen of metaphors here. But I love baseball. And so I think about a baseball field, and I think about the players on the field, and I think about nonprofit leaders, the folks who are in the trenches every day fighting for, you know, clients or fighting to advocate for a law change or you know, whatever it might be, I think of those as the folks on the field. And then I think that there's like this whole crowd of people that are in the stands. And I think that I am convinced that this polarized world, that the the upside of it, and I definitely am a glasses half full kind of gal, that the upside of it is these people are just hungry to get out of the stands and onto the field. What does that look like? It could look like money. It could look like volunteering. It could look like your next staff person or your next board member. And the best nonprofit leaders are using their boards. They're using social media. They're using whatever tools they have in their toolbox to invite as many people to know more and do more for their organizations so they have an invitation to get out of the stands and onto the field. And um, you know, I don't uh, – and it's funny because I thought to myself, when you ask that question, well, I don't have, like, you know, specific tactical things, but I guess what I'm really saying, Rob, is that the polarization of our society has energized people in all sorts of ways, and they want to do something. And the best nonprofit leaders are making that opportunity plain as day to the people in the stands and inviting them to join them on the field. Well, first of all, I love the metaphor and what a great challenge to my listeners because I think you're right. I think people are waiting and looking for leaders to compel them to be part of their organization, to be part of something bigger than themselves. So I love that image and thank you for sharing that. I actually, the other thing, the other thing that's worth noting because, you, you know, you just mentioned this notion about leadership is I think people are so hungry to see leaders who have conviction and integrity and are putting, you know, they're walking the walk and they're talking the talk. Like, our society needs to see that. 
because it feels like <laughs> it feels like we're, we have a dearth of leadership. When people can't work together to make a difference in the world in terms of you know the political climate, I gotta look somewhere. I gotta hope that there's leadership somewhere. And so I, I think it's it's a huge responsibility to be a nonprofit leader. But I also you know if you could just imagine how much that means to people to see someone rich with integrity who's standing up for what they believe in and um, is out there trying to change their part of the world, like that's medicine in a climate like this. I think you're right on. And I've had a lot of different guests on here talk about that. Just it seems to be, as you mentioned, a dearth of leadership. You're absolutely right. And so I know for you, what you're doing and all your work with nonprofit leaders, I know with my podcast, I, I mean, I think we're both trying to encourage those out there to step up, right? And be the leaders that they're really called to be to inspire others. So well said. And now let's move into more development and fundraising as a topic, because this is something that every nonprofit leader has to develop. And they have to, of course, develop strategic and successful fundraising efforts. Now, for some organizations, um, they rely heavily on grants, perhaps federal, state, or local grants. Other organizations lean more heavily on individual donors and family foundations, for example. In your experience and what you've seen, what are the current stats regarding how much nonprofits can expect from grants, say, on the one hand, versus individual donors in general, percentage-wise? And what do you recommend when it comes to nonprofits, uh, where they should invest their time, specifically their development time and resources between individual donors on the one hand uh, or grants on the other? And I know it's more of a tactical question, but I think for some of my leaders and listeners, they would love to get some tactical answers to this question. So it feels like a big fat essay question, Rob. (laughs) I'm going to try to uh, tackle it um, bit by bit here. Um, So Organizations at their earliest stages do tend to have more grants, much more reliance on grant foundation money. Um, and uh, then you have other organizations that become terribly reliant on, like, their annual gala. So, for example, I started as a nonprofit executive director at GLAD, which was a, is a large gay rights organization that focuses in on how the media portrays the lives and stories of LGBT people as a way of changing hearts and minds. And when I arrived there, our budget was, I'm going to say, $1.8 million, at least on paper, but we really couldn't even afford the paper. <laughs> and um, uh, about $1.2 million of it at that time, and I could have the numbers wrong, was all about two or three big special events we did every year. Um, and that was, they were very good events and they did a lot of good, were excellent visibility and fundraising, but we were totally overly reliant on that. And so one of my uh, goals was to try to diversify the revenue of the organization. So, you know, I could give, I could give you some basic, you know, you don't want special events to be more than a third of your revenue. Um, if they're way, and by the way, board members, will push nonprofits towards special events. That's something I see a lot of um, because board members like to sell, sell tickets. They like the transactional nature of that. You buy this ticket, you get X. Um, and I'll come back to that in just a second. So boards tend to really like special events and push for them. I don't like board special events to be much more than a third. Um, you know, foundation grants, it all depends on whether that money is restricted or unrestricted. So I don't, I don't have a specific percentage there because 
if you have a good solid percentage of foundation grant money coming in and it's all hanging on one of your programs, then that's actually not doing you that much good in terms of this notion of diversifying your revenue. Um, I think the place that most organizations really fall down is on individual giving. And that is both low-level giving, which can be driven largely in a world with social media in a big way, and probably also another place where there's a lot of opportunity that people are not necessarily capturing. Uh, and then actually direct face-to-face -face asks for people. And building a major donor program, which is essentially how um, how we dug out of a financial ditch at GLAD in 1997-98, um, is that we just started to get really um, comfortable about inviting people to join us in the work that we did with a with a gift of you know a thousand bucks or five thousand bucks. But building a structure to be able to create an individual giving portfolio in your organization is to me one of the highest priorities. And what does that demand? Let's go back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago. It demands that your board see themselves as champions and ambassadors who are in the invitation business. And they don't have to close the deals necessarily, but they need to help you grow an army of people who can be invited to give. So the last thing I'm going to say, and, I, and I'm, please cut me off if I'm going too long here, is that um, I love the exercise where you say, okay, here's my pie chart of how my money comes in today. And then you draw another picture and you say, in the ideal world, we would be another half a million dollars bigger in revenue and the pie would look like this. So you have two pies where one pie is, let's say, you know, half a million dollars and the other pie is a million dollars. And then you just do the math and you say, okay, well, I want to be less reliant on special events. I want to increase my individual giving. You do the math, and all of a sudden you see what the growth in each piece of the revenue has to be in order to get where you want to be, which is a bigger organization which with a much more solid, diverse set of revenue streams. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you are aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. I also want to make sure you knew about a new feature. Um, we want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, you mentioned social media in that, and let's move to social media and technology. The constant changes in technology and social media have certainly impacted nonprofits in both positive and negative ways. Um, I wanted your opinion on this. For my audience's purposes, uh, help us unpack what all these changes in social media and technology really mean for today's nonprofit leaders. What are your observations on that? So this is a, um, a bit of a pet peeve of mine, and you know, I am, I am not... I wasn't. I haven't been a millennial in a really, really long time. 
so, um, but I am pretty tech savvy, and um, I think the nonprofits. By the way, and we could talk about this too. Um, we've got a we've got a posse full of nonprofits out there that are being run by baby boomers, right? And so many of our nonprofits started in the 70s, and um, and so we got a lot of baby boomers running organizations who are not necessarily as tech savvy as they need to be, and they think about social media. Like it's a storefront. It's not. And, um, you know, I bet you've done at least an episode, if not more, on the topic of overhead and why, you know, sort of the challenge nonprofit leaders have in getting folks to, to fund overhead. And people put social media into that category. And, like, I want to say, no, don't do that. To me, social media is 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 not just marketing, right? And so, you know, it's not just the sort of this luxury item, quote unquote, of marketing your organization. To me, social media is a program because it's about impact. It's about how do you how do you gain more impact in the work you do? And one of the key ways you do that is by growing the size of your army, by getting more and more people engaged in the work. That's not marketing. That is part of my job as a nonprofit leader is to make sure that massive numbers of people understand the importance of what I'm, what we're doing and are engaged in some way. And social media is the vehicle to make that happen. And um, I see far too many organizations that delegate social media to an intern. And they do that because maybe they, they don't have the funds, and I'm not being a snob about this. Um, and, and actually, sometimes interns are absolutely astonishingly good at driving engagement through social media. But I do think it has to be considered to be an integral part of what the organization does. Um, because I can, I, I can have the best, most, you know, most, you know, sort of amazing mission. And I can do amazing work. But the chances of my being able to do amazing work without actually engaging tons and tons and tons of people is pretty small. So I think there is a direct correlation between impact and engagement, and that social media is one of the single best tools um, programmatically to expand your engagement and thus your impact. So I'd like to see more and more nonprofit leaders start to think about social media as a program. In general, you, you touch on this already, but should nonprofits change their fundraising strategy fundamentally because of the changing nature of technology and social media? Yes, I think that it is an organic. If you build that kind of engagement engine through social media, right, people can, and this is, this is another, you know, go back to my baseball metaphor, right? So this is another way that you can reach the people in the stands. Think of it that way. And um, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think that, that that we want to engage people. We want to bring them close to our organizations. And once they're close, they want to get closer. Right? This is what people really need to understand. Is that if you you know you've probably heard this expression, right? You ask somebody their opinion, and you bring them close, and then you can bring that brings them close to your organization and gives you the opportunity to engage with them further and potentially. Um, uh, ha have them much more open and receptive 
to becoming a financial donor, for example. So I do believe that it is an organic outgrowth of engagement that you will drive um, lower-level dollar donors who can then be cultivated to move up that sort of pyramid of you know, the fundraising pyramid. So, um, yes, but, I, but the reason I framed it the way that I did is because it's one of the ways you can engage people through social media is donations. But the best way to engage people first is to actually literally engage them, ask them a question, educate them, get them, get them revved up about something so that you can then bring them closer and closer to you. Well, let's keep with the fundraising theme um, because it's such a big looming topic, right, for nonprofit leaders. I've had guests on the show who have addressed the new reality regarding wealth. In fact, it's been reported that the largest transfer of wealth from one generation to the next is starting to happen right now and will continue over the next few years. Additionally, there are more billionaires today than ever in history, many of whom want to support social change initiatives. All this means there's potentially more money available for nonprofit organizations, of course, who are looking for funding from major donors like these. For all your experience so far, what does this mean for nonprofit development leaders today? So I'm going to guess, Rob, that people who are listening to this podcast just kind of put their heads in their hands and said, really, there's more billionaires than ever before? Why can't I have one of them? <laughs> right? If you're, you're sitting here listening to Rob and you're thinking, really? Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm sweating payroll. And, and there's all these billionaires out there. And um, so I, I think there's sort of a disconnect mostly between the sector and that, that actual reality. And I want... I, I want nonprofit leaders and board chairs in that cockpit to stop thinking from a place of scarcity. I want them to think about a, is, to, is to change your mindset to a place of abundance. Um, and to um, and and I think you know for me that opens up all kinds of doors uh, because because anything's possible. I mean, I have a client. Who runs a you know a small theater and uh, a children's theater, and she just started to think differently. And she was reading uh, a kids book that was written by Chelsea Clinton, and she came up with an idea about how to adapt that into a musical. And she put a proposal together, and I don't even know even how she got to Chelsea Clinton's people, but. <clears throat> You know, six months later, she was in contact with Chelsea Clinton's people, and they were think they were talking about adapting her book as a musical for this children's theater. And you have to believe um, that if you knock, somebody's going to answer. Nonprofit leaders have to think of themselves: What rock can I throw in the pond? I don't have that many rocks. What rocks can I throw in the pond that will have the maximum? exponential impact. And that's, you know, is, am, I, am I suggesting that if you do this right and you recruit a board, that's, that's all those things I talked about, that magically, you know, you're going to find yourself in front of the Ford Foundation or what, what have you? I'm not promising that, but you certainly can't without it. 
You know, I really appreciate your honesty, and I think you're right. I do think a lot of people are thinking, where is my billionaire supporter? Where's my billionaire uh, board member? I think you're absolutely right, and yet, uh, well said. I mean, there are people out there that do have resources that want to support their particular nonprofit, so coming up with uh, creative ways to find out how do you make those contacts is something we got to uh, think about. So, one, one other thought crosses my mind, and it's a story from my glad days, is those you may already be wearing the ruby slippers and you don't even know it. So we had a donor who was giving us two hundred fifty dollars every year, and he always every every and year end he asked for audited financial statements. And my development people would come in and he, they'd say, you know, John, do we have to send this guy the audited financial statements for you know not a lousy two hundred fifty dollars, but like for two hundred fifty bucks, like that's a it's, it's so interesting. And I said, well. It's, Send him the audited financial statements. It wasn't. We weren't. It actually was. It wasn't a debate. Really, it just was quizzical, right? So, we we continued to do this for several years, and then he started to increase his giving. And then we did homework on him and found out he was Microsoft employee number two, number three, something like that. Um, and um, and you know, sadly, he passed away a couple of years after I left Glad, and he left a whole handful of LGBT organizations millions of dollars, including Glad, and. Um, so don't <laughs> don't take your current pool of people who care about your organization for granted that they may either they may even themselves be um, be the keys to scaling your organization in an exponential way. Well, again, my guest today has been nonprofit author, speaker, and expert Joan Gary. If people are listening and want to find out more about you, uh, about your blog, about your resources, where would you send them? Sort of the one-stop shop, we call it the sort of portal to Joanlandia, is at joangary.com, and that's with two R's. Um, and uh, from there, you can uh, subscribe to my blog, which, uh, which is uh, content that I do uh, every week for subscribers. You can subscribe there. Uh, like Rob, I'm in the nonprofit space with a podcast called Nonprofits Are Messy, which you can either read on my blog or anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I have a I have a book. Um, it has a novel title, Rob. It's called Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I, I balked at the title, but they said it had good SEO search. Um, and it is actually the book about sort of this notion of the twin engine jet. And um, and then I have a uh, membership site, which my business partner and I founded a couple of years ago that is intended specifically for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits for whom consultants and coaches are just cost prohibitive. And it is a modest priced monthly subscription service that provides all kinds of content and a private community where experts answer every one of your questions. Um, And it's quite a remarkable place. It's called the Nonprofit Leadership Lab that you can find at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. And we only open registration a couple of times a year to build a sense of cohort and community. So um, if you are interested, you can go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com, learn more, and jump on the wait list. And we will, um, in doing that, we will um, you'll get emails from us when we are reopening, which will probably be in the fall. So what I last want to say is, you know, I, you and I are kindred spirits, Rob. We are both people with a mission, which is what can we do to support these superheroes in our society who are trying to change the world in ways large and small. And my sort of portfolio of resources is intended to sort of try to be helpful to a nonprofit leader at whatever 
um, place they are in their nonprofit's journey. So I just want to say I, I, I'm sure you share this with me, that it feels like a joy and a privilege to do the work that I do because um, anything that I can do to be a champion and provide a shot in the arm for nonprofit leaders, it feels like a very, very good day at the office for me. Oh, well said. Could not agree with you more. And again, thank you. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for taking time to be on the show today. It is my distinct pleasure. Anytime I get a chance to talk with folks who are as committed to this sector as I am, um, it just feels joyful to me. So thank you. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.